And after my first float, I just quit my job. That was an eight years job. And I said, okay, this is something that I don't know where it's going to go, but I can dedicate my life to this and figure out what's up with this. Because it did something to me, not in my first float. A few floats later, um, it started to change the way I perceived the world around me. And I thought, okay, this is something new. It's, and I started looking into it and um, I saw a lot to do with your body. I started to see a lot to do with your mind aspect. But for me, it was more to do with consciousness. And um, usually when you talk about consciousness, you need to kind of define what I'm talking about. So I'm talking about the relationship of the self, who I am, with the universe around me. And that's what it impacted a lot. That Once that, that started to change, I thought, okay, let me kind of like note these things down and put it into a proper structure. And I gave myself a job of uh, spreading floating around Auckland. Uh, welcome to the Melbourne Reconnect podcast. I'm here with Kai Murray Lowe in the Paran Chill Out Space. My name is Paul Medhurst. And we have VJ, who calls himself the Float Guru, affectionately known as the Float Guru, <laughs> as our guest today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Now, VJ, I'm still learning about you. I've, I've had like maybe one 10-minute conversation with you, and I thought you'd be perfect for the show just because you're, you're very interesting and you've got some good stories and you're, you know your life's on a trajectory, which is I think we're going to find interesting. So um, we'll open it up and, and get going. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Kai. Yeah, you? look... Um, I think I've only met you the one time previous to this. And we generally, most of the guests, I think this is probably the first guest we've had on the podcast that was actually floating mm. related. Mm -hmm. It's something we generally don't seem to touch on too much here, which is which is odd for a, a podcast hosted in a flotation tank center. But you do call yourself the float guru. Mm -hmm. It seems like you've got a lot of experience with floating and sort of approaching it from a slightly different angle than most would, almost in a personal trainer sort of sense yeah. for flotation yeah. um if you just want to give us a, just a background on on yourself and what you do now and then we'll sort of unravel that a little cool. bit i guess yeah. cool um so i'm like firstly super excited to do this it's like my first podcast i guess cool yeah yeah oh, there you go. A podcast. i'll try and do some but that was me asking people questions or like chilling with them never mm -hmm. invited to a podcast sure so i found floating three years ago in um, new zealand through Joe Rogan podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, before that, I was an electrical engineer. And after my first float, I just quit my job. That was an eight years job. And I said, okay, this is something that I don't know where it's going to go, but I can dedicate my life to this and figure out what's up with this. Because it did something to me, not in my first float. A few floats later, um, it started to change the way I perceived the world around me. And I thought, okay, this is something new. It's and I started looking into it and um, I saw a lot to do with your body. I start, started to see a lot to do with your mind aspect. But for me, it was more to do with consciousness. And um, usually when you talk about consciousness, you need to kind of define what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about the relationship of the self, who I am, with the universe around me. And that's what Im impacted a lot. That Once that, that started to change, I thought, okay, let me kind of like note these things down and put it into a proper structure and I gave myself a job of uh, spreading floating around Auckland and as that started happening um, I started to get a few clients just to introduce them to floating nothing else and as I was talking to them they started hinting me like hey you're like good at this you know maybe you should like help other people with certain areas in their life and um, 
yeah, slowly just evolved into one thing after another, after another. And like you said, now it's kind of like a personal coaching for transforming your life using flotation tanks as your primary tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I'm doing now. I did that in London for the last two years. And um, obviously, I've got an Indian background. Mm-hmm. So with the hairstyle that matches a guru, I thought, okay, just to play with it, why don't you call yourself the guru? Cool. And uh it doesn't really mean that I am some sort of a float guru in terms of knowing everything because I'm still on that journey. Mm-hmm. But it's just something fun and something I don't take too seriously as the title. But I do take it sincerely though. Because okay. did the hair come first or um the hair it came or the title together, first? actually? It came yeah. It, to <laughs> yeah, it came together. Perfect. So what do you think it's about what do you what do you think it is about floating? Because obviously before that you been a meditator mm-hmm. and had done other introspective or yeah. things to spark your curiosity about what this is all about. What do you think it is about floating specifically that made you make that big change and then dedicate the last three years to, to wanting to spread the word? So basically, the fundamental idea that I derive everything and run my life is from Vedanta, mm-hmm. the ancient Hindu philosophy. And... Um, from that, I've derived this idea that everything is a vibration and everything comes in twos. So what floating did for me was it provided an opposite vibration of conscious living. For example, when you're awake, the opposite of that would be sleeping in a sense. So you're awake and you sleep. So it balances itself out. Say, for example, if you don't sleep, then you're missing out on the waking life. It's going to change it, mm-hmm. right? Now, if you consciously indulge in sensory input, you never consciously withdraw your senses. So there was always an imbalance in my life where I would consciously say sight, smell, whatever. I would be outwards. But all I'm doing is sleeping. I'm never withdrawing myself from all my senses and then floating fill that spot. So I kind of like completed a cycle or a balance in my life. And that just changed everything. So I would, I had more option of going and enjoying my senses. And then I had this tool that would just withdraw everything and mm-hmm. then no sensory input. And that was the first thing that drew, drew me towards it. I was like, wow, okay, this is filling out some kind of a balance in my life. At that point, I didn't know what it was doing. But now I kind of figured out. It's like that completion of a wave because mm-hmm. the wave goes up and down. It's the downside of that wave. And because you're consciously doing it, you have way more benefits than doing it unconsciously. Mm-hmm. So, what, I mean, people might, people's antidote to the senses being used might be meditation. Mm-hmm. What, why would you say floating for you is different to meditation in terms of getting that conscious withdrawal? It's uh, Meditation is a way to get there, 100%, mm-hmm. but your body's involved in it. And because of our lifestyle nowadays, it's really hard for us to sit in a spot and not feel your body for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes practice. And it's that zero point within you. But floating has this environment where it gets you to that point straight away. You don't have to work towards it. So it's like a nice tool. It's like, you know, um, say any tool you use, it's it's speeding up the process. Same way, floating is that side of reality where it speeds up that process of hitting that zero point. Yes, 100% you can get there to meditation. But again, if you want to sit for long, then you have to get into some kind of physical practice so that you can sit for long with your spine straight, right? And then you have to now practice the physical side of things, which takes a while. Mm -hmm. Because of our lifestyle, we sit on a desk for the whole day, then now your hips are pretty, pretty tight. So then you have to work on that. So instead of all of that, you just use a tool. 
because we've been gifted with this mind to create these tools, flooring hits that spot where anyone can start doing it and get there as soon as you can instead of, I mean, you want to get there naturally, but flooring is also natural, you know, mm -hmm. in a way. Um, that's the appealing part of it. It's like ready to go. Mm -hmm. It's like learning how to play an instrument versus being a DJ. Mm -hmm. If you want to learn how to play an instrument, you have to spend the time learning it, but it takes a while till you can play something decent. But if you're DJing with the current tool, it's so easy for you to just pick it up and start doing it and it'll sound good. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's how I compare it. So using like meditation with training wheels. Yes. Essentially. Yes, in a way. And I call it, a, I, th I think of it as meditation on steroids in a way. Mm -hmm. Just like blasts you into that zone. Um, obviously, if you look at it in terms of yoga, I'm talking about the eightfold yoga, which the eight limbs, mm -hmm. where you have the breathing, you have the concentration, and you have the meditation, and then samadhi, which is the union. Well, obviously, floating takes you there straight to samadhi because mm -hmm. the body aspect is like negated. So mm. that's why it's like super interesting. Well, it has the potential to take you there mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, I think you alluded to it a bit before, like it's not your first float. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people that don't have, a, I guess, what you'd call a breakthrough until quite a way down the track because it takes a little while to just be able to drop a little beneath your normal waking mm -hmm. consciousness with a heap of thoughts. Um, what do you think the biggest barrier to dropping to that space is for – not just meditation, but for floating as well, for people that you've worked with previously, mm -hmm. what have you seen as sort of the biggest barrier to entry with, with the flotation as a jumping off point for meditation? It's usually the lifestyle that mm -hmm. doesn't support floating. So, for example, a lot of people ask, or they tell me, I can't, Vijay, I can't meditate. Mm -hmm. And they would think that it's their mind they're using to control their mind, but they would have just probably had a coffee or they haven't slept properly or they have a certain kind of food or their lifestyle doesn't support the practice that they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important. Yes, you can get to these states in a float tank, but it's not just the one hour in the tank that's going to get you there. Mm -hmm. Same with people who work out. They can go train in the gym for hours, but if they don't have the right lifestyle to support it, you're not going to see results. Mm -hmm. And that's where the most biggest issue is, where they think the tank, they put too much pressure on the tank to do it for them. Mm -hmm. And around the tank is not supported. Um, that's one of the biggest things I find. And the second thing is also, uh, even if they have a good lifestyle, it's the expectation that comes with it. You mm -hmm. know, they, for example, if you're into yoga, meditation, any sort of practice, and then you jump into the tank, you feel that you deserve to get to that spot as soon as possible because you've done it, rather than letting it happen. So that creates another huge block. Okay. Yeah, expectations being mm -hmm. being huge and like quelling that expectation has been pretty important for us. We've even got expect nothing on the backs of our doors mm. now because it was it was becoming such a problem with like 24-year-old boys coming in after listening to this on a Joe Rogan podcast or coming in here and thinking they want to jump in the tank and have this like conversation with God, like jump in dead sober, first float and have this really introspective psychedelic journey. And when that wasn't happening, 10 minutes into the float, you're sort of starting to fidget and then you're turning the light on and off mm -hmm. then you're pressing the alarm button. And before you know it, you've just spent an hour sort of bouncing around in the water and never actually even attempting a, a meditation or attempting mm -hmm. to get there. And that's been that's been a huge... And we, we can noticeably... Like when you see someone like a Rogan talk about floating, we get a noticeable spike in bookings. So the next few days, we'll have people call up and say we heard about it on the Joe Rogan podcast. So you, mm -hmm. can't, you can't fault that. But sort of managing those expectations is is vital for something like this, especially in, in an industry where it is so 
out there already. It is sort of, it is still on the fringes and sort of adding undue expectation of this, having people come in and they, they have one of those floats where nothing really, they didn't really get anywhere and they, they sort of were putting too much pressure on themselves. They leave, they tell their friends that and before you know it, you've, you know, you've created these pockets of, you know, cancer in the community, which, which aren't going to come back to, mm-hmm. which aren't going to come back to this. And that's all sort of starting from a heightened expectations, expectations far beyond what they, you know, they initially should have been. Um, so I'd have to agree with that as well. Yeah. Expectation probably be the biggest, the biggest killer for this, for especially younger people coming in. And also I feel it's the approach, how they approach floating. So one float is not going to do anything for you. Mm-hmm. It can, it has the potential, but you have to approach floating in threes. Mm-hmm. And so for example, so many clients, they come in, they float once, they have an interesting experience and then they don't finish the whole three floats. Mm-hmm. So I always tell everyone, even if I'm introducing floating to someone, just talking about it, they ask me like, okay, how do I do this? I was like, you have to do three floats, right? It could take more depending on your lifestyle, but that's when you gauge it, if it's working for you or not. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of people, they try it once and then they go tell their friends like, oh yeah, I tried it once, it wasn't doing anything, I don't know about it. And then the other person is put off by it, like you said, it's that, Mm -hmm. you know, spreading of that cancer where it's not working, but you only gauge it after your three floats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is, it's such an easy thing to, if, if you were to come in and have a negative experience with this, and I know 100% I would because I know, you know what sort of personality I am, it is probably one of those things that you, it'd be very easy to avoid for the rest of your life and sort of brush off as, you know, quackery or, or something else. So it, it's very important to sort of temper those and sort of and get the conversation rolling in that direction in the industry as a whole as well, mm-hmm. get it, try and... I mean, I've, I've got no issue with guys coming in and having these crazy psychedelic trips or whatever they're doing in the tanks or getting to these really deep places, having these out-of-body experiences, that sort of thing. But you need to, we need to cater, need to, you know, our marketing things that needs to be focused on our first timers and people that actually need this. If you're going into those float tanks and you're having an out-of-body experience, you're probably good. Like you, you're probably, <laughs> that's probably something you practice a lot and you're, you know, you've probably got your own meditation practice and you, this isn't vital for you. But we get a lot of people in here that do have rheumatoid arthritis or they're not sleeping or they do, are suffering from crippling anxiety or insomnia and things like that that really need this. And that initial sort of, that initial float's very, very important to mm-hmm. that development. And if that doesn't go well, then you're probably never going to see these people again because they're, you know, they're desperate. They're trying everything they can. You're not going to commit three hours plus showers plus tea and things like that yeah. to something that isn't quite working for you. So, exactly. That's why I got involved in it so much. I was like, okay, I need to find a way to help these people. Mm-hmm. Say, for example, someone comes in with anxiety. I mean, they're anxious already. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm there, then they have like a support and a guidance. So I just you know, help them out a bit and then they do their float. And when they come out, it's more about the integration side of things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so important for them to understand what they just experienced in the tank. How would you know if you've never experienced it before? And we start pointing it towards that direction and then it works out. Mm-hmm. It's the, yeah, that's what I noticed about Melbourne. Um, it's a bit different. Like the vibe is up. People are like awake, but most of them. Uh, more, th- more than London, mm-hmm. for sure. And uh, there seems to be, um, even in this float center right now, like I feel amazing just by being here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like that in London. It's, it's a bit different. Even in India, it's a bit different. Mm-hmm. It's just like so much rush everywhere. 
you just go back from one pocket of stress to like another one. It's like, okay, let's go. It's time for you. Okay, get out of this. You know, <laughs> it's different. Yeah. So that, that, that sort of constant, Mel- Melbourne's okay for it. We still have a problem with patients and things like that. But I think the rest of the world is much mm. worse than that. And it's, it's getting exponentially worse in other places of the world where patience just is a, it's just a non-factor anymore like if you're an 18 and we see this with the, the kids we get coming in we get students come if you're an 18 year old kid that comes in here there's a really solid chance you've never spent an hour doing nothing in your entire <laughs> life it's never occurred once like there's never been a moment where you had to sit on a plane and just look out the window you've never had to watch wait for your dad to finish watching cricket so you can watch tv you've never had to wait for your friends to get home so you can call them like that those things just haven't occurred in your entire existence and you come into here and you've got to sit still for an hour and all of a sudden, that's that's this daunting task because you don't that hasn't been developed. Like patience, people tend to think of it as like a virtue, not a skill. I think it's something so you're you're inherently patient. It's mm-hmm. just something you've got within you, whereas it tends to be a developed skill. Places like London or India, where that's being eroded, mm-hmm. I guess you'll you'll find this this gets harder and harder for people. Yeah, I guess if if it's not something you've ever you've ever really dealt with. You know, yes. I, don't, I don't practice what I preach nearly enough, and I feel my my patience slipping away. You can probably see it through my viewing habits on Netflix and things. The shows are getting shorter and shorter, and <laughs> dropping out of them sooner and sooner. And and I, I obviously I've got access to this all day, every day, and it's still a problem for me. So you can only imagine what it's like if you're you know you're coming up in in India, for example, and you're doing everything you can to stay connected. And you're working as many jobs. You're working as hard as you can. You're keeping in touch with people. There's never moments for stillness or silence mm-hmm. and that's probably going to be a bigger problem than, you know, society's willing to admit. It's, you know, it seems to be a bit of a coming, a coming wave with people. You know, those kids are about to become doctors, they're about to become lawyers, they're about to become police officers, and none of them have the ability, any coping mechanism at yeah. all for those sort of skills. But I've actually worked with doctors mm-hmm. who needed help staying still. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I was like, but can you blame it. them? Can you imagine what how the pressure of going through a medical degree and then you're going through, you know, your first few years at a, some hospital you don't want to work at and then mm. making you work back-to-back shifts and, you know, it's a, it's a silly profession to, 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 work, to work doctors into the ground, for example, to the point where they, they do suffer from anxiety and they can't yeah, sit they still do. anymore. It's, it's, it's insanity, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part. Before your, um, before your sort of transformative flow what were you doing with yourself were you part of a sort of a normal nine to five rat race or i've always had like a split going on between uh, my music so mm-hmm. i produce and i dj Psytrance. nice and um, that's my main passion and everything is revolved around that mm-hmm. and i was an electrical engineer mm-hmm. so i moved from india i went to new zealand when i was about 18 got my engineering stuff done there and then i started working and nine to five well it was eight to five I was late every day, 8.05 to 5.05, they changed my timings. Mm-hmm. And I had to go sell electrical instrumentation stuff, really high-end stuff. But I was good at it, but I was never passionate. I would just wait for my Friday evening and then go smash myself on the weekend and then come back, take 20 days off the year, go travel and then come back. I was doing that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, not happy, but I thought that was the right thing to do because everyone around me was doing it. Sure. Yeah. Were you into the side trance and the DJing before you left India? No. No? That was no. something you picked up on in New yeah. Zealand? Yeah, all my partying is in New Zealand. I've never actually partied in India because I haven't gone back yeah, to party. I haven't gone back to party. You've gone back 
I went back after nine years last year. Wow. How was that? It was was pretty insane. A shock to the system. (laughs) I was a completely different person, obviously. And um, India's hectic, Mm -hmm. but it's good. No, I mean, they've been they've been hectic for a very long time. You know, they seem to be seem to be managing. Yeah, there's a certain uh, order to that. That level of chaos requires there is some underpinning of hundred percent order there. Yeah, you don't want to stay on the roads in India. It's yeah. just too much. As long as you're not on the roads and even some kind of, uh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, people are on a different buzz. It seems like everyone is just amping in India for no reason. Mm-hmm. They're just like tripping out. Well, it's very very rapidly developing you know yeah. there's a lot of opportunity about to emerge in crazy the most apps. populous country crazy apps a lot of new money yeah a lot, a lot of new money yeah lots a lot of new ideas even around you know I mean, india's not known as the most like environmentally friendly place but even around environmental um environmental securities and environmental protections now apparently that's the, the big largest growing economic mm-hmm. industry in india at the mm-hmm. moment is environmental protections which is crazy in terms of um like app development and Definitely. technological development and ways yeah. to reduce waste and things like that. So people are making a fortune sort of in the green space over there mm-hmm. as well, which if you just, you know, have an off thought about India, you usually think, you know, you know it's, it's filthy, they're polluting, blah, 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 so many people. But that that's where that innovation sort of comes from to protect, protect those things from necessity. Mm-hmm. When you do get to a point where you're, you know, overpopulated and people are struggling, then that sort of breeds that, that necessity and that innovation. but Especially at this time, because India has a lot of young people mm-hmm. from the 18 to like, say, 40, 50 bracket. So the highest population of that age group. So everyone's wanting to work. Everyone's wanting to contribute in some way or the other. And um, it's like a nice window for India to actually like go forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's in small doses, India is nice. Sure. Yeah. It's like London, small doses. Yeah. London's all right. No. What got you onto this track in terms of the trajectory of your life and you say you're passionate about consciousness or exploring it or changing it? Mm-hmm. Did you have certain events in your early life that kind of led you in this direction or are you just following an, in, an inner impulse to do it? What's, what's driving it, mm-hmm. do you think? Well, I think it starts with my family, um, the lineage. So it's a lineage of Brahmins. Basically, my whole family, they're priests but not my dad and my mom. They're like the rebellious ones. So always I've been around this kind of knowledge and like they would chant and mantras and all these things in my house. I never got it. And I was the least interested in it. But then, you know, they would have like rituals and all these festive activities, which involves a lot of chanting and stuff like that. Um, But I've had this obsession to, I used to call it crack the universe Mm -hmm. since I was about 16 or 17. And then I got into quantum physics and then that wasn't hitting the spot because I was like, there's something that I'm not considering here. And I was always looking for it. So I was on the buzz, but in a very outside of me kind of way, Mm -hmm. something like very science oriented, nothing to do with me, who I am and all of that. And then I had my first psychedelic experience in 2011. And that changed a lot of things for me. That just completely shattered everything I ever knew in my life before and then gave me a fresh view of the universe. I was like, wow, okay, there's a lot more out there. And I was so happy at that. I still remember, I was just like... Tell us about it. uh, It was actually a side trance party. And tell us us about the insight that it gave you as well. Yeah, it was at a side trance party and there's 
it was really nice outdoor location in New Zealand and I wasn't meant to go to that party because India was playing South Africa in a cricket game on a World Cup stage mm-hmm. and I was like I'm not coming obviously it's India South Africa and a huge Tendulkar fan I was like he's going to play my friends are like no it's going to change your life come I know we're going to go to a side trance party I was like nothing's going to change my life than this they take me there force me and at about 7 o'clock in the morning I'm completely tripping out and when I saw the universe outside of me everything was just like Firstly I felt one with everything. I was like, oh, everything. What did you take him? Uh, I took an LSD. Okay. Yeah. Good first try. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just completely blew it out of the park. Everything is just breathing and everything was talking to me. And I was like, oh, am I going crazy? <laughs> is this actually happening? And I had really good friends around me. And I was talking and I was like, guys, I'm like feeling these things where everything is talking to me. Um I don't know what's going on. They're like it's okay just enjoy it. And then suddenly it just clicked where I was like, "Whoa, I am somehow related to this whole universe." I didn't know what the relation was at that point. Now I kind of have an idea. That point I was like, "Oh, this is me. I'm like doing something." And when I realized that I had the power to do something about it, it just changed everything. I wasn't like I don't know and I wasn't I never felt like a victim but you know in the victim zone anymore like something is happening to me I was like I have a say in what goes on and that was the biggest one for me since that day I was like okay I have a say in what goes on I can do anything I want and then I started doing everything I want <laughs> and at the same time I got into chanting which really changed my life um and uh, meditation obviously but I think chanting helped me more than anything mm-hmm. chanting then, yeah over help you over meditation and things like that. Yeah. Wow. Do you do the chanting solo? Yeah, I just sit there and chant for like half an hour a day. Wow. Yeah. I'm not the first person I've heard uh put a lot of a lot of credence to to doing chanting. So yeah. very similar to I've heard, heard people talk about very similar to sort of kundalini states and things like mm-hmm. that when you really start really start pushing into it. So Totally. It's um I chant in Sanskrit. Okay. And each language is connected to a different element. Mhm. and um, ancient languages like sanskrit hebrew latin these are cymatic languages so they move the air in perfect geometry in front of you okay. and to speak these languages you have to connect your heart and your mind so what happens is when you chant in one of these languages you connect with um the akashic element of the universe mm-hmm. so what happens as soon as i chant is i'm not connected to this realm anymore in a way so my dominant thought is connected to some other realm where it's thinking about other completely different aspects nothing to do with my survival nothing to do with my day to day stuff which is an automatic zone now consciousness has moved up and it's thinking about it's not even thinking basically it's just doing something else and that i enjoy a lot then mm-hmm. i'm not here it's like it's basically like you get high off your own supply kind of thing mm-hmm. you, do you think that that is a just a method to get to this a similar place something like wim hof breathing techniques for mm-hmm. example is that getting you to a similar place as the chanting is it is it is it a just a method of focus like incredible focus to hit there or do you think the actual the vocalization has some power as well it's it's different um so the wim hof method is working with the air or the breath and uh, that is not According to me that's not for everyone because it depends on your body composition. Okay. So I'm deriving from Ayurveda. So everyone has a element of fire, um fluid and air in them. If sure. you already are if your mind's not steady and your consciousness is scattered, then you don't want to do 
more breathing because then that moves more air through your body and your consciousness get too scattered you want to ground yourself what chanting is doing is a bit different mm-hmm. it does involve your breath but it's more to do with the vibration of the chant itself for example um the one that i chant is to is basically i'm praising the universe mm-hmm. using words such as you are the substratum of everything that exists there is no time there is no past present or future so first thing in the morning i'm defining my framework not just my breathing i'm giving my mind these thoughts where i'm trying to reflect these good qualities out so what happens is say for example if you want to if you appreciate someone you feel good instantly if you're angry at someone you feel bad so it's an instant reflection of how you feel right so when you say these good things out in like ancient languages you hold that vibration so you automatically have changed your vibe into something that's a bit different sure yeah so you're holding a completely different vibe within you not just the breathing pattern the other stuff the breathing pattern just pranayama and stuff like that it gets it changes your brain chemistry for sure mm-hmm. but you're missing the whole conscious thought aspect of it sure yeah that does your chanting does it change over that half an hour or is it the same it's, uh, the same all mantra all different words Constant. no it's it's um it's actually i'm chanting 1008 different um names okay. of the universe and each word never, it only 800 of them are unique um i think 100 of them repeat but it's all different okay. and i'm doing it by memory now so my memory has gone like i don't know 10 times correct sure yeah it's just taken me about 4 years and uh, takes me half an hour to do it but it sends me into this zone mm-hmm. where yeah it's crazy like you just start like dreaming or you just so when you come out of it everything has got this blue tinge and you're just like so present and obviously for my job then i have to talk to people mm-hmm. so it connects my vocal cords it exercises that it connects my heart to my voice where i can't say anything that i actually don't feel mm-hmm. it just feels weird i was like okay so that helps a lot Yeah, it's like a complete game changer for me and I actually got it from a psychedelic track it was a sample in one of these psychedelic tracks <laughs> and I was like this actually makes me feel good i want to know what this is and then i found the mantra and then from there on it's like and it was a it was a mantra yeah it was it, it was designed for like, yeah yeah there you go and the, your first your first psychedelic experience again mm-hmm. was that your first psychedelic festival as well yes. was that your first foray into anything yes so you you've gone from some No, okay, that was going to come out the wrong way. But you've gone from an Indian guy living in Auckland, probably doing a lot of Indian stuff, watching the cricket. Cricket. Um, you've shown up at a Sai Trance Festival, probably not a great deal of Indian guys at the Sai Trance Festival. <laughs> and that and that one that one first experience has completely shifted the way you kind of um because I was I wasn't like a normal kid because I was into death metal. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So I went to heavy metal, death metal. Sure. I used to go to all these heavy metal concerts dressed full in black. and then i go to my psychedelic party mm-hmm. and that was the shift and then from full black i went full colors um tie dye t-shirts to like just one hit and then it was all about the sound system that was playing at the party it's called the opus it's like the greatest sound you'll ever hear in your life hands down it's made in the uk and so as soon as i heard that sound i was like i've never heard this kind of sound it's nothing something has never made me feel this way mm-hmm. and i started djing and i started playing at the same opus parties So next year my friends and I we became we played at the same party that we went to that year. And you hadn't DJed prior to no, this. No. The same that that 
listen to death metal, move on to Psytrance. It's like a story as old as that. I, I something very similar in my early 20s. Nice. It was death metal, death metal, death metal. First trance gig, trance, 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 trance and then that was that was it for yeah. ten, <laughs> the next 10 years after that. So, And uh, all my friends were the same way. Yeah, it was all, all gone from like a monomath and cannibal corpse to yeah. Simon Patterson within the, within the space of, you know, one MDMA trip and a Brisbane nightclub. So, um, for what, yeah, whatever reason that seems to correlate, mm -hmm. those those groups tend to mesh together, even though they should be polar opposites. Yeah, almost like everyone sort of you hit a hit a point in your life and completely flip the switch right around. What are your services? What 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 is what does the Float Guru provide? What's his goal of working with people, and why are you okay. doing what you do? So basically, I've got about three different things that I do with mm -hmm. Float Guru stuff. One is I want to introduce people to floating the right way. So I do a workshop. Uh, in this workshop, I would show them a few techniques to try it in the tank and how to basically make a float program. You know, how do you approach it? What's the consistency you need? And how do you live a life around it? So I just show them this on a, it's a three hour workshop. You get to float um, for one hour or hour and a half, depending on the float center and one hour before and one hour after. So that's one thing. And that's basically for anyone who's in the corporate zone, who doesn't have much time or whatever. It's just a crash course. The other one is my main one which is a six to eight week program mm -hmm. so it depends on what the result is maybe anxiety um, creative ideas because obviously I'm producing I can help people with coming up with creative ideas because it's working on me and um, anxiety um, depression and um, any kind of say a mental shift they're looking for so that would be a eight week program or a six week program and you would see me every week and uh, we would work out different techniques and different ideas um, for the whole week. And then you float and you keep building on that momentum. And then at the end of the eighth week, you have enough momentum to carry your life forward. Mm -hmm. And the last one I do is, it's basically lectures and talks. Mm -hmm. um, I've had the opportunity to do these. I used to set up these talks in London. It was a weekly talk. And for anyone who's not financially sound or just wants to they do their own floating but just wants a new idea then I do these talks in a cafe mm -hmm. where you can come join me and it's a one hour talk I just talk about things I'm interested in and that I'm passionate about there's no sort of coaching or preaching going on there <laughs> just um, buzzy, buzzy topics like patterns or nature of reality what is consciousness pick an idea from any thought of ancient philosophy break it down into bits and see what they're talking about and how they actually use that in your daily life so that's the third one I do. Mm -hmm. And are you bringing the, are you bringing those services to Melbourne now? Yes, it's, and that's all it's all yes. up and running. You've hit the ground. It's, um, it's so I'm just looking for a place excellent. to start off. So I'm looking for a flat. Once I've grounded myself, um, I'm changing my website because I realized um, my website was designed for London. Sure. So so now Melbourne's a bit more colorful, mm -hmm. so I can go a bit abstract and go a bit more psychedelic on it. So I'm just figuring that out. And once that's up, then it's all ready to go. Um, I've already started with a few clients in Melbourne nice. and um, yeah, they seem to have like good fun. I'm really enjoying the float centers in Melbourne though, especially mm -hmm. beyond rest ones. So comfortable, so much space. When London space was like gold, you know, but mm -hmm. here it's like nice. Yeah, we've we've lucked out pretty heavily. Like we're, we're obviously, when we don't need any foot traffic. So we've managed to get ourselves into areas where we can, you know, we can really sort of deck the centers out. Mm -hmm. As we... We do have a center in Perth and it floating such a, for a lot of people, it is such a daunting ask than the first time. You need, the center needs to be aesthetically pleasing. Mm -hmm. They need to feel welcome the second they walk through the door. It can't feel, 
medical at all. Like they, mm. they can't feel like they're at risk or they're vulnerable. And I think that's been our biggest sort of key difference is the is the actual center land and the staff we use as well. Like we we generally have nice, genuine staff. They, they don't have to be the best at floating. They don't have to be nailing their floats at all, but they've got to be genuine people. You won't hear any water cooler talk here or anything like that. Walk through the door, whoever's standing there, you, you generally going to speak to that person. You're going to speak to their to their soul, like you're actually going to have a real conversation with them. Um, whereas other centers, when you, you travel to them other places of the world, it, it tends to be, that all tends to be an afterthought. You know, you mm -hmm. just, they're desperate just to get the tank in the room, have the temperatures correct, get people in the water. And I think that that is doing the industry a little bit of damage as, as a whole, because it, it, it is for a lot of, like my, my partner, for example, she's been doing this for four years and she still struggles with the lights. Like she still has that nervous energy about turning the lights off in there. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that that's a very common issue and do, doing anything you can around the aesthetics or the staffing or anything like that, just to, to get people and get people feeling comfortable mm -hmm. is very, it's very important with this because the, the, the actual float itself is one thing, but there's sort of the aftercare as well. 100%. And the, the chance to wake up, you're not just going to get thrown straight onto Chapel Street and sort of left to fend for yourself you get a chance to actually wake up and have a conversation and maybe explore some of those emotions that you felt in the tank or bits and pieces like that 100%. the integration side of things mm -hmm. but melbourne seems to have that vibe mm -hmm. um people seem to be how do i put it like onto it mm -hmm. even at the other float centers like obviously you guys and also the gravity float place they were amazing like the passion for floating was you could see it they're like, oh, these guys are like passionate about floating and like giving them, ev giving everyone a nice time. You know, as soon as you come in, you realize that the person who's walking in, they have some kind of a discomfort or you know, some sort of a stress or something busy life or whatever. And our job is to like take that from them, clear it out. And then when they go back, they have to feel like brand new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take it. Yeah. Might use that. In terms of, yeah. In terms of dealing with people, you, t I mean, you talk a little bit about vibration and mm -hmm. I guess um, you'd be interested in the fact that that's your point of attraction and that's how you're drawing into and out of your experience, different events and people and whatnot. Um, can you talk a little bit about that in your life and how that kind of flows? And then also touch on the fact that the balance between changing your state when you're not in an optimal state and honoring it. Mm -hmm those two things because I think there's a lot of material out there on how to um, and even the methods that we're talking about you can float you can do Wim Hof you can do all of these techniques to bring on a state mm -hmm. but it's still a state um, so if you can talk a little bit about um, those two things what was the first part sorry the first part was I don't remember what did I say <laughs> hold on um, what's the first thing um before we started talking, you were talking about vibration and mm -hmm. attraction and, you know, being this guy and this guy. So talking yeah, a little yeah. bit about your feelings of okay. that and the relationship of yourself yeah. to that. Yeah. And then a little bit about when you find yourself in suboptimal states, being with that as opposed to employing a technique sure. to elevate or be out of that. Mm -hmm. So what helped me was to have an, a fundamental idea that it's not me. Right, So you're creating it, but that doesn't define you. What I mean by that is, say, for example, you are stressed. If you're stressed, then you have a certain kind of thought process. You have a certain kind of experience in your life. That doesn't make, that doesn't define it as you are that person. Right? It's just that consciousness is in that zone where it's stressful. The moment you raise it up, 
then you become a nice person. You're happy. For example, after a float, people are chatty and they come out and they're like really happy. And, you know, they're more, I don't know, they just look different. Their vibe is different. The things they talk about is different. Again, that doesn't make it them. Right. So once I realize that, okay, today I'm not feeling good, then I don't label that as I am not feeling good. It's just that our oh, consciousness is in a different state today, different zone. What I mean by that is my relationship with the world is a bit different today. Okay. Then once you say, okay, it's different, you sit with it. And how you do that is you connect with your heart. When you sit with it, suddenly you see that there is nowhere for you to go. There is nothing for you to do. That's the first step. Does that kind of make sense? I'm, I'm listening. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And when, like, and when you say connect to your heart, what's, what's the? I mean, because you hear it a lot. Okay. What's what is the, what's the felt experience of that? What's the reality okay. of that? So, for example, yesterday, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, for example, yesterday. Oh, funny story. I got pranked yesterday, right? I'm looking for this house, and I call this wrong number, and that guy just goes along with it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll see you here, and I go there, take an Uber. He wasn't there. Instantly. Most people would get, I don't know, frustrated or aggravated. I thought it was funny. I thought, and I messaged him, I was like, hey man, you got me, haha. You know, instantly I was like listening to my heart and I was like, so what you do is practice and you just feel your vibration. The moment you feel your vibration, it tells you exactly what you're feeling, right? If you're frustrated at that moment in time and you just feel your vibration, you're like, oh, I'm frustrated. What most people do is I'm frustrated. I want to be somewhere else where I don't want to be frustrated. That is the discomfort you feel. Mm-hmm. Right? What you do is you just go in and you're like, oh, it's just happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you just, that's it. You just feel good about it. If you want the situation to change, that's when you have a discomfort. So that's the first step. So when people talk about like getting in touch with your heart, it's basically seeing what the situation is and being okay with it. And that's again practice. It's not an instantaneous thing. You have to like set yourself in a zone where you're able to do that mm-hmm. unconsciously. You don't want to consciously keep doing it because it's too much work, you know? So what you do that is again through your day-to-day practice. For example, if you want to sit still and you have had like three coffees, discomfort, it's not going to work. Then you just like say, okay, I'm amping right now or I'm anxious. It's okay. And you, you observe that reality and instantly it just shifts. It just shifts the way you perceive it. You don't want to get to that state by, because you want to keep vibing high. As soon as you wake up, you want to vibe high. So that's where the, that's what I do. As soon as I wake up, I have my practices and my vibe is really high. Mm-hmm. And I don't go into like other places where there's stress, anxiety and stuff like that. And I just keep there. And it's, a, it's, it's an everyday thing. You have to do it every day. It's like you shower every day, you eat every day. You have to raise your vibration every day. Yeah, Interesting. Yes. Yeah, like, and I can look, I can relate to it. I think everyone's different, but I just think it's nice to talk about different people's processes and mm-hmm. and that and breaking it down a little bit more than just how I um, describe it is basically imagine a building with say about say different floors and each floor has a different set of rooms in it. Mm-hmm. Right? And each room is an experience, a thought process, an emotion, a feeling. What you experience, and together that floor is your experience. That's what you experience in your day-to-day life. Depending on where your consciousness is, is what you experience in that life. So if you can raise your consciousness through to another floor, then you can't experience the other stuff. That doesn't mean you are that person. What I mean by that is, say, when I was traveling uh, in Europe for about three months, I used to go to a lot of parties. My lifestyle was a bit different. Suddenly, one day I realized I'm insecure. 
and I'm anxious. I was like, oh, this guy, I thought this guy was done years ago. I've become the same Vijay that I was four years ago, where I'm seeing all these like scarcity and why are people talking about all these things. Then I realized, ah, my consciousness has dropped to a different floor where it's picking up these kind of things around me. What I did was I just raised my consciousness through my chanting, meditation, eating good food, and basically other aspects of my life, make music and all that. Suddenly, in the same environment, I wasn't feeling those, those things. I was feeling, oh, people are nice here. You know, I'm welcomed and different kind of thought process. Mm -hmm. So I just raised my consciousness. That's when I realized, like, you are everything from the bottom floor to top floor. What you access depends on where your consciousness is vibrating. Mm -hmm. And that's how I look at it. And floating raises your consciousness. It brings it back to a state where you're content, which is a nice vibration. It's like a peaceful vibration. And from there, you can work on it and you can move it up anywhere you want. Ideally, you want to be vibrating high. Um, gratitude is a really high vibration as well. Yeah, so that helps. Fantastic. We've got to, um, we've got to wrap this up. We've got a busy day ahead of us, but just one sort of... Sorry. One sort of uh, major question we'd like mm -hmm. to ask at the end for people. Um, so on your deathbed years from now, what's sort of the one thing you would have, thinking now, that you would have liked to achieve? Um, Once you get that, from, from your current sort of goals and your life's purpose at the moment, something sort of aligned to your personal values. But if you were sitting there, what, yeah. what, what do you think that would be right now? Uh, and actually, then there's a follow-up to that. Okay, actually nothing. <laughs> Hoping you would achieve that. All right. Well, that yeah, follow-up's going to be easy then. It wouldn't be anything <laughs> for me. Like right sure. now, I'm just doing everything I want to do in life. Mm -hmm. There's nothing for me to achieve um, because existence is the highest for me. If I'm alive, I've done, I've done the highest thing today. Mm -hmm. Everything else is a bonus. So that's from that plane. If I come down to like a normal plane and answer that question, for me, it would be Psytrance. Psytrance? Yeah. Make an impact in that. Make an, yeah. I want to be the best in the world for two years at least. And there is no doubt that I will be the best in the world for two years. Um, there's a reality where that's happening and I just need to match with that reality. And I spend a lot of time doing it. So, sure. yeah, I wouldn't be disappointed on my deathbed, but that would be amazing. <laughs> like a tick. <laughs> well, knowing that uh, regret, you know, the biggest regret of the dying, um, in the, you know, is, is not achieving those goals. Do you, do you find that you're, you're sort of actively working towards that now? Mm -hmm. It sounds I, like... I on, on both accounts, it sounds like you're probably yes. hitting the nail on the head. So yeah, so I'm I'm definitely working towards it, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm trying something new out in Melbourne. I'm not a person who plans things; I just let it flow. Mm -hmm. But I realized that aspect of me was blocking me from doing different things in life. Sure. So now I've started planning stuff, okay. which is a new thing for me, and that seems to work like a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, yeah, it's like I've got a plan of some sort, and that's It'll be different. Yeah, it's a bit different, so I'm just working with it. Nice. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Sorry? Sorry? How can people, uh, how oh, can people find Oh, They can find you? me on Facebook um, as The Float Guru, on Instagram, also The Float Guru. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a website. It'll be up and running probably next week, um, sure. revamped, version 2. But that's thefloatguru.net. And if people people have heard this and they want to sort of get in touch for your services, through the website? Through the website. Just drop me an email, um, vj at thefloatguru.net. And um, yeah. Oh, thanks a lot, guys. I no had problem. an amazing time. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you.